John chapter 9, verses 1 to 25. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming, when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spat on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, this word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seen. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened? they asked. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Where is this man? they asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, How can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, He is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they had sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? they asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders, who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That is why his parents said, He is of age, ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, Whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see.
no, there we go. Now we're cooking on gas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, with your permission, I'd like to continue that reading because for the context of what we're talking about, as in what this man said, um, this one thing I know, I, I think we, I really want to finish that chapter, if we, if we may. So we've read up the bit where he, the man says to the people who are questioning him, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. So they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You do not want to become one of his disciples, do you? They reviled him and said, you, who are, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we don't know where he's from. The man answered and said to them, well, there is an amazing thing that you don't know where he's from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born entirely in sins, and you are teaching us. My dramatic influence there, sorry about that. <laughs> so they put him out of the synagogue. Jesus heard that they had put him out, and finding him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Let's pray. Thank you, Father God, for your word. And Lord, I pray that this time will be profitable, that you can draw a straight line with a crooked stick, and I pray, God, this imperfect vessel will be used for your purposes. Amen. This story reminds me of the Pilgrim's Progress because what we've got here is a man starting a journey, starting a journey to finding his saviour, to finding his prince. But along the way, he comes against foe and temptation, trying to pressure him to, dis to discouragement, telling him to deny what he's found, but what's happened to him, trying to find excuses to say that it didn't really happen. But in the end, this man finds his good shepherd. There is, there is for my, to my thinking, an elephant in the room when it comes to this. And it's down to that perfectly natural question that the disciples ask at the start. This isn't the major point, and uh, if you want to talk to me afterwards about this because it's touched a nerve or something, then please feel free to do so. But the disciples ask, who sinned that this man should be born blind? Did he sin or did his parents sin? Now, when things go wrong, when we're diagnosed with things, when we're born with things and we look back at our lives and things that have gone wrong, it can be a natural instinct to ask, what did I do wrong? Why is God punishing me? And it, and it is a truth that we may be tempted to feel uncomfortable about this being asked here, but it's a natural question, even if it's not a helpful question. But it helps us to remember that we don't have to protect God from embarrassment when it comes to this. Because Jesus is clear. This man didn't sin. Well, he's not saying that the man has absolutely no sin. He said that none of this man's sin resulted in him being born blind. And his blindness isn't the result of his parents' sin either. He's given us a reason so that God can be glorified through what's going to happen. Now, there are ways to consider what happened to this man. 
including God caused this to happen. Jesus gives the reason he was born like this, that God can be glorified. We can be uncomfortable with that. But we do have instances in the Bible where God has done things which we wouldn't like, which we are uncomfortable with, but it's for his glory. And if we are happy to sing, all things work together to good for those who love the Lord, then we accept that bad things can happen for good reasons. There's a really awkward verse in Exodus chapter 4 where Moses, God is talking to Moses. Moses is saying, I've got a speech impediment, you can't use me. And God says, who has made man's mouth? Or who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? That's one way of seeing this. Another one is that God just allowed this to happen. There was a natural process taking place and God allowed it to happen. There is also, which is tied to that, the idea that God is just making the best of a bad situation. But what we do know is that this did not happen as a result of someone's sin. God did not hate this man. God did not hate his parents. And if anything, we are going to see that God dearly loves this man. What we are seeing here then is uh, the work of God in bringing someone to salvation through adversity, through difficulties. And this is not unusual. When we think of Joseph from the Andrew Lloyd Webber multicolored coat fame, he, at the end of the, towards the end of Genesis, his brothers are, are worried that Joseph is going to take revenge on them because he's the mighty prime minister and they're just a bunch of shepherds and they're thinking, oh no, because of what we did to him, he's going to kill us now that Jacob has died, our father has died. And Joseph is very clear. He says, I'm not going to do this to you because although you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. He doesn't say you meant it for evil, but God turned it for good. He says God meant it for good. Now, I find that if I was not in that prison, instead of Joseph, I'd find it very hard to see any joy in that. I'd find it hard to see the joy in being falsely accused of things. And yet God, he sees that. Jesus was driven into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit for the purpose of being tempted by the devil. It wasn't that Jesus was in the wilderness, the devil happened to be in the wilderness at the same time and they bumped into each other. There was a purpose in Jesus going in for the purpose of being tempted. Another one that comes to my mind is when Jesus sent the disciples in the boat to go to the other side of the lake while he went up for a prayer meeting with his father. And they were in that storm at least three hours, but the ch the, there's a good chance that the, by the language that they were in that storm for six hours, desperately fighting for their lives while Jesus was praying. Didn't he care? Didn't he, did, didn't matter to him that his disciples were struggling for their lives? Or was there a purpose that at the end of that, they would see a Messiah? They would see the Son of God in his glory through how he was going to deal with them. So what, what I'm trying to say here isn't God is horrible. What I'm trying to say here is that in your difficulties, in your tough times, you have a God who's holding you, who knows what's going on, and that there's a purpose in this. There, is a, there was a purpose for this man being born blind. And it's not glossed over, and we're not glossing over to say, oh, he had an easy life. He wouldn't have had an easy life in that culture. But it's, so it, he, we're not saying that he's had, he's had an easy life and it's just going to get better. Ironically, after he gets healed, his life gets worse. We see the panic in the community. We see that they were trying to find out, well, how can we prove that this was wrong, that this didn't happen? Are you sure you were born blind? You know, are you sure that maybe you could see and you were just pretending and now you've decided it's easier to know that it's a show? You know, everyone is dragged into this. 
You sure you were blind? You pointed him, even this clicking in his face. You can see, you definitely can see now, can you? you know, what, please, can you get us an out here so that we can carry on with our lives because something has changed too much. This man was born blind for the purpose of glorifying God, and in that glory, this man was going to find more security than healing that his physical eyes could possibly achieve. The one thing that he knows would change over time from something wonderful to something even more wonderful. As I said, the community was in panic. The religious, the religious leaders were in denial. I take those, these guys as one, they worry me. I don't want to be like them. And I can see sometimes in my heart that kind of an attitude. I don't want that. So that we can see, I can see that God has done something. How can I prove this hasn't happened? That's how they looked at this. How can we prove that this has not happened? Because we cannot stand to have this man, Jesus, getting any credit for doing anything special. His parents were at a safe distance. Who here would think, my, if my child is in any danger, I would run to that child. If my, I would run to my child to protect them. But this guy was, uh, was a man. He was older. He was an adult. And his parents asked him. Because they knew that they would be kicked out of the synagogue. And being kicked out of the synagogue was meant being kicked out of the community. Being removed from the people. And yet in all this, this man is so truthful and honest because he has received a transform, transformational experience in his life. Something has changed which he can't deny. There was once when he was bumping into everything because he couldn't see. And now he can walk around everything because he can. Now, I, I spent some time trying to think of this, but I can't imagine what it must have been like. Someone who was born seeing, they lose their sight and get it back again. They're seeing what they've, see, what they've seen before. Someone who has never, ever seen can you imagine that must be, oh, that's what a table looks like. Oh, that's what an apple looks like. Wow, trees have look really good. Don't they? Everything is new. Everything is a transformed experience for him to be able to see where he is. So he can't deny, well, actually, I can't see. He can't deny that. He knows what's happened to him. And so all, while everyone's trying to prove it didn't happen, he said, well, I know it did happen. I was blind. I know this. I can't not know it. I can't pretend it's not true. I was blind, he says. But now I can see. And in between the was and the is, is an encounter with Jesus. The man was under pressure to deny, but he knew what he was and he knows what he is. This encounter with Jesus has taken him from being a village landmark to a healing that he cannot deny. His life is completely transformed. Now, people here have had encounters like that. Maybe not physical healing, maybe physical healing. But we've had encounters where things have happened and we, it's undeniably a work of Jesus. I remember once, just one experience I had many, many years ago. This stands out in my memory. I was walking down the beach in Sully. Not Sully, uh, yes, yeah, Sully, down the beach there. It's not much beach, it's more of a, a rock, isn't it? More of a rockiness. And as I was walking along there, listening to the sea, and uh, as is what I do sometimes when I get, is I was praying, and I just felt a burden go. It was sudden, poof, a, a suddenly a burden went in my, while I was praying. It, it was like, wow, it was tangible. I, it, I can't deny that happened. But as I look back, I'm tempted to. 
And we can have these experiences with the Lord where we've been praying and he's ministered to us or he's ministered to us through the preaching of the word or through the sacraments or through any of his means of grace. And we can be tempted to deny that it actually happened when we, as we get further and further from it. Well, it's too far-fetched. Who's going to believe me if I say that? It is my imagination. I imagine that burden being lifted. There's too much by, to lose by holding on to it. People will reject me if I, uh, if I hold on to the story. It just can't have happened. It's crazy talk. Or, as in the case of this man, things have only gotten worse for me since it happened. The day after this happened, things have only gotten worse. I've had this encounter with this man called Jesus, who I think he's a prophet, but to be honest, things have just got worse. My parents have distanced themselves from me. My community doesn't want to know me. The people who taught me when I was a child, the people who have taught me the, the, Bible, the, the scriptures, the people through whom I've come to know the law of Moses, the people through whom I've come to know to expect the Messiah, the Son of Man, they've rejected me. Who is there left for me? This man had entered a new world of light, a world he could not have possibly imagined before he was healed. And he knew it. What God has said to you, what you've read in the Word and has convicted you, hold on to it. Don't let the world take it away. Know that God has done that for you. When He says something in the Word, He's done it. He means it. He could not have possibly imagined this world. This was truly one thing He knew without doubt at all. But this one thing I would want to put to you is not enough. The man says in this particular verse, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. The issue here then, and I do not for one split second want to suggest that his healing is somehow unimportant, but he doesn't yet know who Jesus is. He doesn't yet know Jesus. This wonderful thing, this wonderful healing has happened, and there's tougher times to come before he really gets his eyes opened. You see, this man gets his eyes opened twice. We've already read the first one here, we're here. But he will get to know the one thing he needs to know. Because we can feel the physical blessing of an, of an encounter with Jesus. How would people today get an encounter with Jesus without knowing Jesus? Well, any contact with the church. The church is the body of Christ on earth. We are, we are supposed to be doing God's work. So whenever we talk to someone who doesn't know Jesus, they are having an encounter with Jesus through his people. So we can feel the blessings of the physical effect of belonging and being touched by and to a church. Not only can miraculous healings take place, but the fellowship is sweet. Statistics even suggest that going to church can improve mental health. People who attend church on a regular basis tend to statistically have better mental health, although that maybe depend on who you're sitting next to. We can enjoy a lovely sense of belonging. We can receive support, and we can even give support. We can be so engrossed in this beautiful organization, this beautiful body of people called the church, experience a blessing and even be a blessing. We can receive and give support. But can we be like this blind man currently is at this particular verse in this story by experience the physical blessing but missing the important truth? I've been touched by this Jesus somehow, but I still don't know who he is. 
he himself admitted, whether he is a sinner, I do not know, but he will know. His vision of Jesus grows over time. It's really interesting as we see how his vision of and understanding of who Jesus is grows over time. So let's look at his journey. Jesus has set this man on a journey. His physical healing is a step in that journey. And a journey it is to glorify God and find security in this. This is the thing. When we talk about God being sovereign and God being, being king and God being in charge, we, te- we, te- we tend to find that a little bit threatening, like somehow it's taking control out of our hands, but we're in no safer place. When I, I don't fly very often. I haven't flown very often. When I am, I'm a very nervous flyer. I'm conscious of the fact that if I lose concentration, the plane will crash, even though I'm just a passenger. And I can feel like that about my spiritual life if I lose. But God is in control. This man came to know security. It says in Ephesians chapter, uh, chapter 1, In love, God predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. And so the thought that God is doing this for his glory, for some people it can smell a bit bad. Smell a bit rotten, no, that's a bit selfish, that's a bit egotistical. But it's not. It's for God's glory. God doesn't want to be glorified by something that doesn't work. And so if people are getting saved, that's to God's glory. The more saved and secure we are in Him, the more glorified God is. That God can look at someone like me and point at someone like me and say, look, I've even saved someone like Him. Look at Him. And He's safe because of me, because of my glory, He says. So He's safe in God's glory. And this man is on this journey. And as I said, the man's knowledge seems to change and grow over time, possibly as Scripture comes to his mind. As you notice in that second part of the reading, he seems to know his Bible quite well because he's quoting it to the Pharisees, much to their annoyance. He says in verse 17, um, what do you say about him since you opened your eyes? And he says, he's a prophet. In verse 25, he says, I don't know who he, whether he's a sinner, but I know that I can see. In verses 31 and 33, he says, We know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So he knows that Jesus is a great guy. He knows that Jesus is a prophet. He knows that he's been sent from God. The next step of this glorious journey is this. He gets kicked out of his community, the synagogue. And that, in this community, is a disaster. In that culture, it might be bold to say, that he would be better off blind and supported than healed and rejected. But we read this. Jesus heard that they had put him out and finding him. Jesus went to find him. Jesus looked for him and he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? We don't see that Jesus is sympathizing and talking about the pains of being ostracized. Oh, it's really difficult, isn't it, being ostracized? I mean, how do you feel about that? Let's, you know, can, can we talk about how, we, how you feel about being ostracization? And look into that. He just asks this question straight out. I mean, he, this man has had a really bad day. He's had the best experience and he's had a really bad day. Surely that's not, you don't be asking theological questions when you've had a really bad day. If Jesus comes up and says, do you believe in the Son of Man? He's getting to the point. Because this man who was born blind needs to know something. He knows a wonderful truth already. He can heal me because I was blind, but now I see. I know that. But now Jesus comes along and says, do you believe in the Son of Man? Why? The point of all this, the point of the gospel is Jesus. This man suffered physically a lot. 
even after being healed. But Jesus is the point. The man maintaining his honesty, he, I love this guy's honesty. He responds to the question as, who is he? That I may believe in him. He doesn't ask only, who is he? Oh, right, no, I don't know who that is. That's an interesting theological question. Uh, tell me, uh, who could this be then, you know? Could it be this? Could it be that? Is it? He says, who is he? That I may believe in him. He's grasping this. It's making his, this is about, this is going to change my life. There's something more coming. That I may believe in him. This man knows that this knowledge is a different kind of knowledge. This man knows that knowing the identity of the Son of Man, understood to be the Messiah, the one sent from God, the anointed one, the one they're waiting for, is not just a fact to be understood, but a truth that leads to belief. And with clarity that we don't always see when Jesus identifies himself, he says to the man born blind, you have seen him and it is he that is talking with you. In other words, it's me. Have you ever been at a birth? Because there's a birth here. As this man's spiritual eyes see who this is, the spirit is born. The work that God has been doing in him has now produced a person, a spiritual being. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. All the rejection, all the rejection of his community, of his family, of his friends, that's behind him now. Because before him, is the one that all those have been waiting for. But he has been allowed to see who he is. This is the Messiah. This is the one in whom I am to put my belief. And this belief is important because the same author, John, wrote in chapter 3 of his gospel, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that whoever believes in him should not perish. Five minutes ago, this man was perishing. This man was hell-bound, but now he's heaven-bound because he knows he's put his belief, his trust in Jesus. You see, historically, his belief, his trust was in keeping the law, but now his belief and trust is in Jesus. And as he learns more of Jesus, as he finds out what Jesus came to do, and that day when he will see his Jesus on the cross, he will see what's happened for him. That passage that, that they've read out that is very often in sports events, usually in America, continues. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. This man is not condemned. The Pharisees condemned him. The, the religious leaders condemned him. His community condemned him because they were he started confessing that this Jesus was a prophet. But before God, it says, whoever believes in this Jesus, and the same word belief in the Greek is used here as is when that man says, Lord, I believe. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. The, the healing of this man's physical eyes did not result in worship. It was, a, it was an enormously transformative experience which we cannot imagine. But he did not know at that time who Jesus was. Yet here, his spiritual eyes have been opened. And this one thing he knows, this is the Son of Man. This is my Savior. This is the one I've been waiting for. This is the one in whom I put my trust. This is the one I put in whom I put my hope. This is the one in whom I believe. 
He knows who the Son of Man is because he's got this background of biblical teaching. He's got this background in a community where they were taught, we're waiting for him, we're waiting for him, we're waiting for him. And now he sees him. This man was well educated in Scripture, so he would have known who Jesus was when he said he was the Son of Man. To meet the Son of Man would have been an, an astounding thing for him in his worldview. But who is Jesus? It is important we know who Jesus is if we're to put our trust in him. If you go to the dentist and the dentist says, Hi, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, Mr. What's-His-Name. Hello, Mr. What's-His-Name. Uh, you're my first patient ever. I've never done this before. Um, but you're gonna, you know, I, I, I've got the basics. You know, I, I know to brush my teeth. So your filling won't be a problem. They <laughs> are not coming anywhere near me. I'm going to go to the dentist that I know. And because I'm afraid of dentists, when I go, go, do go to the dentist, I know the dentist I want to see. And when I, I'm, I don't like needles, so when I go for a blood test, I know the nurse I like to see in, in the surgery because she's really good. You know, you go with who you know. So how can we expect people to follow Jesus and trust Jesus if they don't know him? God is the righteous judge. Hang on, have I lost my page here? I think I might have, have a Boris Johnson moment. Don't worry, I'm not going to start talking about Peppa Pig. <laughs> I jumped the line, that's all. Who is Jesus? It's important to know. Because what Jesus came to do is critical to our existence. Our existence as people, as human beings, as individuals, even as a community. Because Jesus came to solve a sp very specific problem that we have broken all of God's commands. And sometimes when I say that, and I say that I've broken every one of the Ten Commandments, I always get the same response, well, you've broken those ones. I go, yeah, those ones as well, because Jesus said, if you've ever looked at someone with lust, then you've, broken the, you've committed adultery in your heart. If you've ever hated someone, even if it's on a roundabout, in your car, you've committed murder in your heart. I've broken them all. And God is the righteous judge who must deal justly with people who break his law. When we look at the Ten Commandments, then we see how far short we fall of God's standard. And it says, we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone has sinned. And even this man who was born blind has sinned. His blindness was not the result of sin, but he was a sinner just like the rest of us. Like we all, we're lawbreakers, and the punishment for breaking God's law is severe. It says in Romans chapter 6, the wages of sin is death. I'm only going through all this because I want to show you how important it is what this man has come to know, because I want you to know it as well. It says that although we are in this situation, we've all broken God's laws. We're all guilty of breaking his commandments. If I, would do, if I was to do 70 miles an hour past the church there and the police stopped me, there'd be something wrong with a police officer who says, don't worry about it, off you go. You know, I, I the do justice means that something has to happen because of that. And justice means that something has to happen to me, to us, to you, because of God's breaking, because of us breaking God's law. However, it says in Ephesians chapter 2, but God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. 
and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. So you may have been thinking, well, he's painting a really grumpy picture of God about how he's broken all his laws. And yet, despite the fact that I've broken all his laws, he loves me and he sent Jesus to earth to die for me, to take my sins. He loves me. He loves you. Jesus came to take your sins away so that you can put your trust in him, not in yourself. Not in yourself thinking, I've got, good, I've got enough good enoughness in me. I've got enough goodness in me so that I'm all right. Because before God, none of us have. And yet, because of Jesus, we stand as though we do. When this, man who, who, uh, when this man knew who Jesus was, his belief wasn't a simple acceptance of facts like that we may have in the laws of gravity. This man was being given a new identity as he moved from a works-based religion to one in which his entire trust is in Jesus. My belief is in Jesus. And as we know what John said earlier in, in, his, in his gospel, if you believe in him, you will not perish, but have eternal life. This man had received a revelation of Jesus from the only source that is safe, Jesus himself. As Paul said to Timothy, for this reason, I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. And I know that lots of old school people are already singing a song right now with that verse, because I find it hard to read that. I just want to sing that verse, and you don't want to hear me sing. But what Paul is saying there is, I know who's convinced me. Do you know who's convinced you? Are you, a, are you a Christian because you go to church and you've had nice feelings? Or are you a Christian because you know Jesus? You know that Jesus has died for your sins. You know that he has paid the price for your sins. And that your trust in him means that God accounts Christ's goodness, his righteousness to you. That's, that's an insane thing, but it's a wonderful truth. That I have not earned my way to heaven. I have not earned my way to be a member of the church of God. I have not been earning anything. I've been given it by Jesus. Do you know that Jesus died for you? Or are you living on nice experiences, even wonderful experiences? So Jesus is the incarnation of God, the very being of God, walking among people. This is who Jesus is, God himself. We sing at Christmas, uh, very God of very God. Uh, Christmas wasn't that long ago, so I can't understand why you can't remember what carol that was in. Jesus never broke one part of God's law. Jesus fulfilled every requirement of God's law. And yet, when Jesus died, he paid the price of one who had broken it all. He hung on a tree, cursed by God. And this is that you can today be free of your sin and your guilt. Jesus' death on the cross means that he took your law-breaking guilt and made it his. Are you feeling guilt? Are you trying to smother that guilt under tradition, under being a good Baptist or a good Christian? Oh, and I was raised a good apostolic. You know, are you, are you smothering under that, the, the, the sense of guilt? Or do you know that your guilt has gone? You don't have to smother any sense of guilt in your life because you know it's gone. Is that where you are? It also means that Jesus took the law-keeping goodness, for want of a better word, I'm going to call it credit, all right? I don't like the word. It doesn't feel right. But all the good that Jesus did, he gives it to us. So it used to be, I remember when I, when I was young, I used to, my understanding of the gospel was this. When I stand before God, 
my book will be empty because all the bad things I've done will be washed away. And that's a good description, but it's not complete. Because when you stand before God, if you're a Christian, when you stand before God, not only is all the bad stuff that you've done not in the book, but all the good stuff that Jesus did is in the book. We are being credited with his righteousness. His, not mine, his. That's amazing. Jesus' death on the cross means that he took your guilt. He gave you his righteousness. And when he rose again on the third day, walking out of his own grave, he led the way for us to know there's a new life that you can start living right now. Right now. That there's a new life to live. A transformed life. That man's transformation from being not seeing to seeing, I, I, don't, I don't want to cause offense, but that is nothing compared to the life transformed from being hell-bound to heaven-bound. That is an enormous transformation. Do we know that? Is that something we know has happened in our lives? Because Jesus, I would hazard to say, is a bit of a big deal. It says about him, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He's talking about Jesus. This is Jesus. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Do you know him? Do you know him? In conclusion, this man's life was hard with a severe disability. This man's life was transformed by a wonderful opening of his eyes. And he knew that he'd had his eyes opened. But this man's life was saved by an opening of his spiritual eyes to see Jesus. And in this Jesus, he put his trust. His spiritual eyes were opened and his eternal life started. Are you living on an experience that is wonderful, but as yet incomplete? Have you had a wonderful experience of Jesus, but you're still missing Jesus, are you holding on to that one thing you know? And is that one thing that Jesus is your Savior? This man started, didn't know Jesus at all. Then he knew, Jesus is my healer. Jesus has transformed my life and he's healed me so that I can see what I could never see before. But by the end, he says, wow, Jesus is my Savior. My belief is in him because he is the one who God has promised to save me and give me eternal life. Is this the Jesus that you know? I pray that it is. If it's not, speak to one of the leaders of the church, speak to me, I mean, I mean that team. You know, speak to someone, we'll point you to Jesus. Or read, read the Bible, read the Gospels and see this Jesus who died for your sins so that you can know you can know that you're a child of God. You can know that you've been adopted by him. You can know that Jesus died for your sins. You can know that you're going to be alive with him forever. These things you can know, hold on to, because the world is going to throw all sorts of things and doubts and all sorts that will confuse, tempt us to reject it, tempt us to turn back, tempt us to say, 
didn't really happen. And know that Jesus is your Savior. Amen.